Welcome to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. Each week, we hear real-time stories from athletes and CEOs on how to maximize performance through an endurance mindset. Let's get started. Welcome to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. Today's guest helps hundreds of CEOs, founders reclaim their time, foster happier teams, scale their businesses, and lead more fulfilling lives. He's the co-founder of the Borrow Meter Interactive, the founder and coach of Human at Scale. Please welcome Chase Damiano. Excuse me for mispronouncing your name. I've been practicing all afternoon and then I just fumbled at the finish line. Yeah, hey, I get that a lot. You know, my um, my first grade art teacher used to always call me uh, Damiano Pizza Boy. <laughs> and uh, he was my art teacher. So, you know, I accepted it always with love. But yeah, it's, yeah. it's really great to be here, Greg. Yeah, thanks for being on the show and, and having a sense of humor. Um, so this podcast is about the endurance mindset. And my favorite question to ask is, Chase, tell me about how your endurance mindset has impacted your life unexpectedly. I remember when we were talking about this call, you know, prepping for our time together to just talk about like, what does endurance mindset mean? And for me, what it has meant and represent in my uh, life and career um, has everything to do with cultivating awareness. So it, it, it has meant for me this ability to clearly recognize exactly where I am in the present moment and then making conscious choice to play a different game or a longer game. So one of the stories was when I, when I was a lot, a lot younger, I was blessed and fortunate to have the arrival of my son uh, quite early in my life. Um, it was the first big example where uh, a lot of change had happened for me all at once. Uh, I had him when I was still studying at university. Uh, I hadn't graduated college yet. And up until and through that point, um, life had been uh, very much about achievement. It was very much about getting the good grades and getting through the, you know, getting to the right university. Um, studying under the right professors and getting uh, the degree that was going to enable my career. And, and, and so it was. And having a son, as I imagine with, you know, with most parents, like when they have their, when they have their first child, uh, all my priorities shifted. After having studied uh, chemical engineering and economics for a number of years, I had thought at that time that I was going to go on further to um, be, a, be an engineer often a process plant designing new equipment. And at that time, it was my dream job. And it's hard for me to even imagine now what life would be like had I actually pursued that. As an alternative, you know, those types of jobs are sort of off in the middle of nowhere, Delaware, Louisiana, and middle of nowhere, Texas, um, where you're working in a production plant. But I knew my son was gonna be living in the Washington DC area. And so I had a choice. Do I, do I leave my preconceived dream career um, in order to be with my son? Or do I just like make the dream career work and then you know, figure it out with my son later? And it, it represented for me this crisis of values and this crisis of meaning. And ultimately, I made, I made the choice to come and move to the Washington, D.C. area and then uh, become a, a consultant. And at that time, I had no idea what 
consulting was. Um, I had no, no idea what Accenture as a company was. And in ha having done that, that helped forge this, what I mentioned before, this, this attitude and conscious choice towards a longer and a bigger game. Really, the, uh, I'm a fan of the regret minimization framework, whereas like in this moment of choice, um, which of these decisions might I end up regretting the least um, into, into the future? And that, 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 that choice really uh, broke me open and opened my heart in a much bigger way. And I've been living and leading in that way ever since. That's awesome. And thank you for sharing. Um, you know, I, I really appreciate your comments around the intentionality, the decision-making, the being present in the moment. Um, you know, that's not something that just happens overnight, right? You, you just, you share with a story of an instant. Any other instance in your life that you've seen that sort of intentionality grow um, in how you approach your day-to-day -day life? Yeah, um, you know, fast fast forward when I was, you know, I, 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 had, I had taken that job at Accenture and I had spent a lot of my time there learning uh, as a student, like developing under others, uh, getting comfortable with my own sense of autonomy and leadership style within that environment at the time, aggressively getting out of student debt uh, so that I can take the next step. And I, I'd always felt that the next step for me would be a pathway of entrepreneurship. And the, you know, living in corporate consulting was great. I learned a lot, but it also felt okay to me. And that okayness was something that I had to check in with myself. I was like, hey, is this something that I, am I okay with okay? Having left that to jump into entrepreneurship, I saw as like another big shift for myself. Be like, okay, I can stay here. I can stay comfortable in the status quo. I sort of see what, you know, how my boss's careers had progressed. I could see my peers and how they were, they were progressing, the things that they were into. And it felt like I, I, it was not the identity that I saw myself becoming. So I made this change. Was there a specific push or pull also in that moment that, you know, because I, I did something similar, right? I was at a big, I was at Fannie Mae for a handful of years, wanted to put my shingle out, get into entrepreneurship, but there was always that hesitation. It's how am I going to make that next rent payment? How am I going to do? What pushed you over the edge? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, a few things had lined up for me. Um, number one, on the financial side, I was able to get out of debt. It's great. That always makes it a lot easier. Number two, there was an opportunity in which I didn't have to do it alone. I was jumping into business with another person. And we were both leaving in order to pursue a life of entrepreneurship together. He, he had already done this for a year and I joined quickly after for you know, the following year. And I had the ability to radically change my lifestyle to make it work. Now, for me, going into a world in which I was cutting my income from, you know, essentially by half is what we were ended up paying ourselves in the beginning came with a lot of consequences. It came a lot of consequences, especially in the early days. During the first few years of having started this business, I was living technically below the poverty line in my county. 
I was, uh, I applied and I got accepted to affordable housing programs. I lived in houses that were infested with cockroaches. And all the while I was figuring out working 80 hours a week and single parenting my son at the same time. And it was very, very hard. There's a lot of adversity. I feel fortunate I was able to financially make that work and be able to cut my income in half. And that was just simply because of the, the lifestyle that I had brought in previously, like getting out of debt was essentially carrying forward the same lifestyle into entrepreneurship. And so, and we made it work very under-resourced, very time poor, very cash poor. We made it work. So we've got an audience member listening to our show today who's contemplating making that jump into entrepreneurship. What advice would you give him or her? Okay. Audience member listening into this and you know who you are. You, you, maybe you've sat on this decision for a while now and you're make, contemplating making this jump. And maybe you felt that uh, a lot of fear and a lot of trepidation in coming up. How will I make this work? How will I get the finances to work? How will my relationship evolve with my maybe significant other, maybe with my kids, maybe my family? What will other people think of me? What will my old boss think of me? What will my, you know, my peer circles think? And that stuff can get in your head. I think the reward that is sitting for you on the other side is the result of having taken such a bold and big bet on yourself. I'm very limited in my experience. I only did corporate life for a handful of years before deciding to do this. I could have seen a future in which I was really seeing my own potential unfold back when I was in corporate world. But I get the sense that by making the decision, making that leap, I'm very much getting in touch with what I'm really capable of. And that's not just what I can achieve, but that's also my emotional well-being, my mental health, the way I handle situations. And by having taken a bet on myself, it has actually gotten to know myself so much better and so much more clearly than had I stayed. And so I'm saying this as a, uh, to find peace or solace with this idea that's my call of action for you or whoever might be listening to this, where you don't know yet the version of yourself that is the bold and courageous entrepreneur to make a crazy decision like this is the way is how it's feeling. And for me, it has been so worth the journey, which comes with pain and anxiety and challenge and self-doubt and worries and things that keep me up at night and relationships that are changing and evolving. And it can definitely feel like a lot as at once. But what I believe is that it is serving me just as it can serve you in a pathway towards greater conscious self-awareness as you get to live into this new reality that you've created for yourself. That's awesome. You, you brought me back to my day of when I, I made that jump. Um, shifting gears a little bit, Chase, talk to us about what the, the it is. What are you doing? What, talk to us about uh, your businesses, your passion, what you're working on these days. I think we've skirted around a little bit. Let's really get into the details of what you're doing. 
Yeah. So I, I, today I run an organization called Human at Scale. We're a leadership development company really focused on developing leaders and helping them scale their teams. Um, we believe that this idea of work-life balance as being a trade-off is not really a trade-off. Um, I mean, there, there's an idea where we can have it all. We can live a lot more holistically in our life. We can have relationships with people that we love that, ha- that are deep and connective. And we can have highly successful businesses that can either grow or eventually be sold or you get, you get to keep. And that idea has kept my interest for so long because in many ways, these are the things that I want for myself. I don't claim to be a uh, guru or a thought leader or someone who has figured out all of how exactly to do that. But I'm a student along with most of my clients in the pursuit of this vision. How can we bring these ideas together? How can we live an idea where startups or small businesses aren't causing us to just hustle, 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 throw hours at the problem just in order to pay for our own tuition and learning? How can we live a world in which we can actually mentally disconnect from our companies that take up so much of our time and attention and so that we can have genuine and real presence and connection with our significant others and loved ones? I have found myself perplexed by these challenges, and I seek to find, discover, and lead a way towards making this possible, not only for myself, but for others. So that's what I'm working on. That's fantastic. Um, so are you working with teams and companies? Or are you working with individuals? Are you working with both? Like what's, do, do companies find you and say, hey, we need to figure out a better balance here or the yes and mentality or are you primarily working directly with a one-on-one coaching sort of environment? Yeah, good question. So um, typically the holder of this set of problems is the co-founding team or the founder and the CEO. And I'll do direct one-on-one work with them. Sometimes they will also bring a co-founder such as a COO or a CTO or another C-level individual, maybe just their number two person um, into the conversation so that they can get the same benefit in a one-on-one coaching container. But I also provide leadership development programs that support both their personal lives, but also the growth of the business in a larger, more structured engagement that might involve their entire company, working not only with the, uh, the founder or the co-founders, but also their executive leadership team, possibly their directors and managers, and also their individual contributors as well. Again, how do we solve these challenges of purpose and alignment and bringing stronger communication so we can be more effective in our work. Because I, I'm, I find that so much of the time sucks and energy sucks in the business are the work about work, where we're running really ineffective meetings or we're not very clear on the direction of our company where we're heading. We're not very clear on roles and responsibilities in the organization or how we're even measuring success. And not only that, but oftentimes with a first-time founder or someone in a new leadership position, they're being expected to have all this figured out when they, too, are learning it themselves. So that creates pressure. And the idea here is that we at Human at Scale can help relieve that pressure. I like the work about work comment. 
And I'd love for you to get a little bit deeper on, you know, what are some common indicators that you're, you are running inefficient meetings or you're spending time where you shouldn't be, or you're just spinning your wheels. Like talk to the person who's in that situation and what's going on. That's an indicator that, or what's an indicator that that's going on in their life. Yeah. So, um, oftentimes, so we, we want to gauge where the, the problem set really is. And so in what I'm about to describe, you might find is a problem for you, or maybe it's not a problem for you. And I'm talking in the lane is like, hey, you're doing this behavior, but you're finding that it's a problem. So as an example, working 60, 70, 80 hours per week, very difficult to shut off on nights and weekends, uh, maybe finding themselves worrying or kept up at night about their business. Um, they can't quite seem to get people to do what they want. Um, they're having trouble with quality of work. Maybe I've tried delegating something before, but I'm not really getting the results that I have desired. Um, maybe you secretly find yourself in a position where it's just like, I'm not sure if I have hired the right people on the team. Maybe I've made a mistake around that, but it's really hard for me to go back and fix that because I kind of need them as well. Um, maybe you find yourself wishing that your team members were able to do more, but you have not been impressed by the results. And the concept here and what I want to communicate is that, yes, there might be a challenge with some of the team members, and maybe there is an idea around uh, having not hired the right person. But what I want to express is, what are you doing as a leader that could be bringing uh, more of these behaviors out and into the light. It's like, where do you actually have more responsibility than you might think? And how might you be contributing to some of the problem? So for anyone listening, that might be that that might be you. It is. And I, I this happened with me in my first company, too. It was very difficult and painful for me to look in the mirror. It's very easy to point the finger outward. Oh, where are the problems at? Well, the problems are with the team that I have, the problems are with the customers, the problems with the market, there are problems with the product. It's very, very difficult to take the finger and point it back at yourself. How am I contributing to this situation? And that difficulty in doing so um, can bring up a lot. And in that bringing up a lot, there might be a solution there that can actually serve you in your unique situation. And that's how someone like myself can support you. And some great, great lessons learned in there. Um, Chase, going back a little further, talk to us about your life before trying to become a chemical engineer. Like, what was your youth like? Where did you grow up? Give us a little bit more insight on on who you are. Yeah, yeah. Growing up, I was a nerdy, creative prankster kid. I had a very small friend group, but uh, deep friendships with each. And uh, I, I, I did a program called um, International Baccalaureate or the IB program within high school that, ma that made that friend set even smaller. So it was like a school within a school. And yeah, I, I found myself, uh, you know, besides playing a lot of video games, uh, hanging out, hanging out with friends, um, I find myself found myself very creative. So uh, I, I would like to make movies, uh, especially about schoolwork as a, a creative submission. Um, and I would also make and code my own video games too. Um, th things that 
I, I remember one time I um, a creative submission. I had essentially coded a the life of Julius Caesar, but you can play it as a video game. And you'd like took the little floppy disk and insert it in the computer and run the executable. And it essentially like delivered the essay to um, in visual form, and you were controlling Julius Caesar and and whatnot. And uh, I admit I like to play pranks. Uh, I think oftentimes it was because um, you know some classes were challenging, but some were not as challenging. And and so uh, I would love to set my teachers up to either be surprised or to you know maybe disrupt the class a little bit. Always just in good nature, just trying to get a laugh uh, out of people. I still I still carry that forward in my client work, but you know no one no one's getting eight pranks. Well, I was going to ask you, what is your favorite, what was, or what is your favorite prank? Oh, uh, there was one where uh, I had, this is in high school biology, I believe. I had, I had essentially asked my friend, I, I, I pulled up my shirt a little bit and I laid down on the ground and I asked my friend to take like a plastic knife and then put a lot of ketchup on it and then like lay it on my back right behind the teacher's desk. And the the fun was just like walk, walking up and watching a teacher like looking like oh that sort of stuff that's awesome so do you still keep this playfulness with your client engagements and your other things you do in your life is that a, a theme that you've carried forward um in some ways yes and in other ways no there have been seasons of my life where it felt that my value around playfulness was a little subdued and that was existing in a belief system of like really high achievement we were very serious we have a lot of stakes and those were the sort of behaviors that came out the first time I started a company where everything felt like such high stakes and such a high amount of stress or pressure especially when we got uh, more team members involved we got investors involved we actually had real traction on the business and so stakes just got higher and higher there was a version of myself appeared that was very serious, very robotic or mechanical in nature, one of just like complete monotone and entirely focused on the work. And that version of myself, I've had to come to grips with and like really understand what was going on. And it was because I was scared. It was because I was so, so very much living in fear that. Um, that version of myself is the one that came out and appeared. Everything felt so challenging. Everything felt, felt very high stakes. And it took some conscious decisions, some like big decisions in my life to uh, move away from that and to not embody that uh, every day. These days, it's a lot, much, much easier. I feel um, much more whole, much more complete in, in my demeanor and bringing out all the fun stuff that I love. Well, let's scratch that a little bit more i'd really like to talk about the difference between starting your first business and what you just described and then what your approach was on your second business or third or fourth or however many you're on to now because many of us entrepreneurs we get so locked into that first business and your emotions into it and your livelihoods onto it and your reputation and, and you know you do we've done things that you really shouldn't do or you won't do the second time around. Tell us about that experience for you. Yeah, there was a there was a really big 
uh, step that had occurred for me uh, within the first business. And essentially, if, if, if you imagine you live in a world in which, you know, you're coming from a high achievement background, you're, you know, getting good grades, you got a great job, and now time to bring that energy into entrepreneurship, then you can see how that would translate to the hustle energy, the I'm going to get things done, a lot of discipline, a lot of goal setting, like, let's go. And which can serve very well. Um, don't get me wrong. It, it, it can serve very, very well, especially at the early stages where um, sometimes it is just about moving forward and getting things done. The issue is it doesn't scale very well when you have a team. And I remember having continued to live that paradigm, um, even despite having, we might have had 40 or 50 people in the company at this point. And I myself was working so hard. I couldn't imagine working e even harder, but the complexity of the business continued to grow just due to the number of headcount that we had and our customers, et cetera, and it had grown exponentially. And I'll, I'll never forget when I hit a wall, I, I had a breakdown when my number two person uh, decided to leave for a better job opportunity at the time. And just as I had felt that I was getting my head above water, I felt like everything was collapsing. And in that collapse, I, I remember coming to the rest of my leadership team with tears in my eyes and genuinely with a full embodiment, embodied felt a sense of this, I was asking for help. And I'd never asked for help on this level in my entire life. Why? Because I placed such a big bet into my identity on like having everything figured out that I was carrying that forward. And I was essentially hitting my challenge area and then in some ways going over that. And I didn't have a good answer. That identity shift was fundamentally transformative for my life. And many of us as entrepreneurs, we go through this where it's like, okay, we, as we're building our businesses, we, we do very well when we have the answer. And we are, even when we're coaching other people on our team, we usually have an opinion. If they have a problem, we have an answer. We always have an opinion. The problem is, is that all the difficult challenges in the organization will rise up to you and it'll be on your plate to figure it out. And I didn't realize that back then. And something I now carry forward into the company that I'm building now is this attitude of humility where it's like, okay, not only do I not have the answer to this, I also might not be the best person to create the answer. And if I make a bet on myself to create the answer alone, then I'm essentially betting a certain amount of the company on this uncertain path. And all paths are uncertain, but this amount of uncertainty. My attitude these days is to just bring in the right mentors, the right expertise, the right people to be able to advise and support and consult on big decisions I have to make. And now it doesn't feel as stressful. Now my identity is not being challenged in the sense that, oh, I have to have everything figured out. I can suspend that belief and just surround myself with great people who may have experienced and done that before. And so that gives me a lot of internal peace and it scales very well. That's amazing awareness because um, it is so difficult to make. And you almost need to have that breaking point in order mm. to realize and learn. Um, and the more that we can talk about it, we as a community, we as a community of entrepreneurs can talk about this 
it kind of relieves some pressure for the business owner, the startup that is trying to fight through day in and day out. 100%. And so, so much of the egoic identity can be built around knowledge. It's like, I have an answer. I have a plan. Publicly, I'm looking, I look strong. I look like I have it all figured out. I can speak on, you know, this podcast, this guest blog, and like presenting a persona. And it's like, wow, they really got it together. But so often in entrepreneurship, that's not the case. It's just a persona. It's a mask. It's sort of like a false representation of what's actually going on in the internal state of this individual. The amount of anxiety could be depression, could be wrestling with addictions, wrestling with focus distraction, the amount of isolation and loneliness that can come from this. And if you're, you're, if you're an entrepreneur or you're listening to this, then you probably know what I mean. But we don't talk about it much. Why? Is because, again, this persona being projected that we need to look like we have it all figured out. But we don't when we're really honest with ourselves. I don't have it figured out. I run a leadership and coaching practice. Again, I'm not a guru. I'm not a leadership expert. I didn't go to school for leadership or management. I'm a student, just like all of us. We're all students. I love how deep we're getting. So I'm going to change the subject. What's your favorite ice cream? <laughs> Conscious cherry. I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just joking. Um, I am a, I'm like a sor sorbet guy. Mm -hmm. I'm like all, all the fruit flavors. So get really creative with the sorbets. Like I'm there. I just had a strawberry margarita sorbet like just down the street. And I loved it. I was like, yes. And while, while I was in Santa Fe, would you believe that there's like a green chili ice cream that was actually quite good? I've been a mint chocolate chip person, but I think that strawberry margarita sorbet needs to be tested. Yeah. I love, I love mint. Mint chocolate chip is great. Yeah. It's a classic. Um, Chase, how do people, how do audience members get in touch with you? What's your social media platform of choice? Yeah. So folks can find me on LinkedIn. Um, that's where, that's where I'm pretty active. You can find me on Twitter as well, but I, I don't post there. I, I might not read if you try to get me, get in touch. So, um, come find me on LinkedIn. I also run a newsletter called Gut Check. And uh, what we try to do is what this is really about is helping leaders navigate the art form of leadership, especially in entrepreneurial companies, and to try and like implement some new tools or tactics that could serve not just in growing their business, but also growing their beingness um, as they're expanding to become uh, a great leader. And we'll include those show those links in our show notes and to your websites. Um, you know, Chase, I really appreciated your honest insights to this road of entrepreneurship, this path of leadership that we're on, um, and how it all sort of tied back into the original question around the endurance mindset. And you gave some really raw examples of how it's impacted your life. So thank you for that. Um, if any audience member is getting and appreciating this content, we ask that you share it. We ask that you post it on your social media links. Let's let's expand this conversation. Chase, it's been wonderful having you on the show, and I, I really appreciate your time. 
Thanks, Greg. Thanks for bringing me on. This is an awesome conversation. And uh, yeah, looking forward to continuing the journey. You and I both, my friend. Thank you for tuning in to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. To hear more inspiring stories and strategies around the endurance mindset, be sure to subscribe below or visit us at chiefenduranceofficer.com. Until next time, keep pushing those limits. 